News Network. In the 1960s, where rioting was virtually a norm and freedom fighters were asking, who do you turn to when a cop hits you? They weren't thinking about where you turn when an elected official sticks his finger in a voter's chest and shouts, I don't work for you. It's clear we can't count on our elected officials to stand up for what's right. The law. Actually, we do have one ally. He's with you now. He's Dan Newman. You know 
Well, 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 well. Oh my gosh. This is insane, people. You've got to understand that I guess when you're in a recording studio atmosphere that you rely on equipment. And sometimes, just like people that work for us, equipment just decides it's not going to do the right thing. I apologize. This has never happened before, but we had a piece of equipment fail in 30 seconds. We test every morning before we go live on the show. We test all of the equipment. Actually, sometimes I've had people tell me, hey, we hear you doing the testing testing, uh, a couple of two or three minutes before we go live on the air. Well, we did all that. And then all of a sudden, the channel for the main studio microphone just decided to, I don't know what it's doing, but it's just not working. And uh, I've got one of those uh, Neumann uh, recording studio microphones, about $1,200, $1,300 microphone. And uh, I thought, as you can imagine, flashed through my mind, oh my gosh, microphone went dead. Well, we have a couple of other microphones. And uh, I changed the channel on the board, and uh, I tried to come back and talk to you, and it didn't say anything. It shows that it's working, but I guess it's the channel. I don't know. We'll get into that later. Before tomorrow morning, we'll have that all worked out. I'm glad we are here together. Hey, I hope you had a good weekend. You finished up July strong. Um, I need to pause for a second and um, confess something. I, I promised years ago, I guess when Facebook started really getting hot, everybody was wishing everybody happy birthdays, and I did the same thing. And um, I'm one of those guys I believe in the personal touch. And the personal touch means you respond, you talk with people, you talk to people, you don't talk at people. And if anybody's going to come by and take the time to wish me a happy birthday on Facebook, I'm not going to do what I see a lot of other people do. They just wait and then they do a blanket Facebook post. Thank you for all of you that wish me a happy birthday. And I get that. I understand it. I really do. But I just worked hard to get away from that. Unfortunately, this year, to be honest with you, was impossible for me to follow up on that. I had hundreds of of happy birthday wishes. And I'm not bragging about it. I am actually humbled that so many of you out there took the time to come by and uh, wish me a personal happy birthday. was my last birthday of the decade of the 60s. Yep, I'm 69. It's hard for me to believe. My wife, Marianne, is six months older than me. And so what I get to do every year is uh, for six months, I get to brag that I'm married to an older woman, that she robbed the crib when she came and got me. And for those of you who know Marianne, you know that in that deal, I promise you, I got the far better deal. And so Friday was my birthday, and uh, Friday was a really good time. Um, We have, we're fortunate, we're blessed. All of our kids and grandkids, with the exception of our son, live right here around us. So what does that mean? That means that uh, I'm with them all the time. We're fortunate. We have six grandkids. We see them over and over and over again. 
And uh, it's just absolutely incredible that we have them. So we all got together at our oldest daughter's house, Kimby, and there were some outside friends, close friends that came to join us. It was incredible. And we took pictures. My Both of our daughters are just crazy about pictures of everything. And both of them were really good putting pictures together. So we did the whole picture thing before we got away. And our oldest daughter, Kimby, our firstborn, um, she posted a picture on Facebook the next morning with uh, an explanation of our family and, to be honest with you, what a lot of other families are about. And I have to share this with you because it is just incredible. She put this picture up of the f- the uh, five of us, Marianne, me, Caleb, our son, Kimby and Corey, our two daughters. And to be quite honest with you, when I look at the pictures, it's just like a regular old family get-together. But let me tell you what Kimby pinned. Listen to this. She said, last night, Dad turned 69. We had a house full and we celebrated. The man, the myth, the legend. Of course, she's picking at me. (laughs) Of course, I wanted a gazillion pictures as I was scrolling through Something about this picture caught my eye besides the huge E on Dad's shirt. I had on an Evangel Christian Academy shirt, and the logo for Evangel is a uh, lowercase E, and it fills the front of that shirt. Each person and their personality is shining through in this picture. Corey with her welcoming smile and a ready for whatever his next mindset. Dad, just prepared all the time from photos to podcasts. Caleb appeasing us to take pictures even though he doesn't want to. He'd rather be behind the camera and in the kitchen. Mom and the woman enjoying life and soaping up every second of her time with family. Kimby making sure Caleb is okay and not mad at me for taking this picture and also smiling. We are far from perfect. We don't have our stuff together. We hurt one another. Sarcasm is our love language most of the time. We do cheer. We celebrate. We love big. We laugh and cry together. We get on each other's nerves a lot. We don't talk all the time. We aren't perfect. Jesus is the only perfect one. He knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. We may not talk to him all the time. We may hurt him, disappoint him, but He still chooses to love and forgive in spite of ourselves. This is a picture of what my family looks like to me, and I love each one of you. We are imperfectly perfect. That's incredible. But you know what the greatest thing about it is? Here we are. Kimmy's 46, Marianne and I have been married 47 years. And our family's been through all kinds of stuff. Our son's been to prison. Our oldest daughter, she lost her marriage. Our youngest daughter, she and her husband lost a baby. And then she got breast cancer. And Marianne has me. Oh my gosh, what a load for her to carry. But in the middle of it all, there is a commonality and those who know us and know our family and that commonality is we serve Jesus. 
we believe in the Bible. We believe that God wants the best for all of us through everything. And he's got a way to get us through everything. So I encourage you, don't try to make your family perfect. Try harder to understand and accept those in your family that are different from you and you may think they are kind of not doing the right stuff all the time. Just accept them as they are and love them as they are and help them do better as they help you do better. And always keep God in the equation and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Well, here we are. Brand new month, August 1. We have a lot of things to talk about to get started. And I want to start with something that uh, is kind of dominating the airways and people are getting scared to death about it. And it's something that's in the wind right now. Inflation. It's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. Why? Because every day we have to deal with it. I don't care where you go. You go to a restaurant. We ate lunch yesterday at my favorite restaurant, Windrush. And it's my favorite because you're going to think this is odd, but I don't eat pancakes or waffles very often. But Windrush Grill in Shreveport, Louisiana, they make the best waffles I've ever had. But before that, let me tell you, if you're ever in South Louisiana, you go to Cafe de Ma, New Orleans. They've got them in Baton Rouge, Lafayette. The beignets are awesome. That is a staple of Louisiana food. Windrush Grill is the only restaurant I've ever been to, although there are dozens of restaurants that claim our beignets are just like New Orleans. They never are. But at Windrush Grill, they are. So, two beignets and a waffle. Now, listen, my son, Caleb, is an executive chef in Dallas. And he is the biggest food critic I've ever been around. The first time he was here, and he and his wife went to Windrush Grill for Sunday brunch with us. They couldn't believe the beignets. But then when he ate a waffle, he just just stopped. And he said, they make all this from scratch. You never see that anymore. They get the mixes, you know, and that's the quick way to do it and the easy way to do it in other restaurants, but at Windrush Grill, they make it from scratch. And so what am I getting at here, folks? Everything. That ticket yesterday for lunch was probably 10 15% more than it is normally. That's okay. I don't mind paying it. But across the board, it's getting tougher and tougher and tougher. And it may be getting worse. There's a net $300 billion in this new Orwellian bill that Joe Manchin now says he's going to support. $300 billion in the bill dedicated to reducing the deficit. And how are they going to get that $300 to reduce the deficit? Higher taxes. In normal times, when inflation runs about 2%, a tax increase of about 1.2% of GDP, gross domestic product, would put some downward pressure on inflation. But because the deficit reduction is concentrated at the end of 10 years, this is what they do that just hacks me off. They plan and give all these wondrous numbers in these bills, spending bills that they put out there, but they should put a little 
asterisk behind it and say, well, all of the good stuff in this, it doesn't happen until 10 years later. For context, just for comparison purposes, March 2021, a year ago, Democrats shoveled $1.9 trillion, and that's 8.6% of our entire gross domestic product. $1.9 trillion they shoved down our throats in new fiscal spending into the economy through the similarly ill-named American Rescue Plan. This fiscal injection came as our economy was already reopening on its own thanks to the vaccines, precisely when it was counterproductive and sowed the seeds of inflation. The Federal Reserve, they kept interest rates at zero until March of this year, same as they were in March of 2020, when there was a double-digit hole in the economy because of COVID and COVID lockdowns. This ludicrous policy mix has driven inflation up to 9.1%. That's a four-decade high. Inflation has outstripped the growth of wages, causing households are actually seeing real wages fall by 5.6%. Now, put that in context. Real wages are falling 5.6%. That's when you factor in inflation. Now, to address earlier boo-boos, Senate Democrats propose reducing the deficit by a little over 1% of GDP, but over 10 years. Wow, that's a great idea, right? No, what it does is it pushes the results out past when they're going to be reelected or they go home from Congress, but it looks good and it sounds so good and voters love it as well as campaign contributors. Through the lens that we're talking about, this this bill, the Inflation Reduction Acts, its disinflationary contribution is a little bitty fraction of the American Rescue Plan's inflationary contribution. Senate Democrats, they got a flame flower, a real flamethrower to a forest, and now want to put out the fire with a squirt gun. When you dig into this bill, the details are even worse. The deficit reduction comes not from spending cuts, which would reduce demand, but taxes. 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 New taxes always reduce our supply. And folks, we're running out of crap all over the place. They're not even talking about the fact that this baby food shortage, it is now at epic proportions. It's higher than it's ever been. The Biden administration, they don't even talk about it. The inflation hitting us, our families, is a result of demand outstripping supply. The Inflation Reduction Act is going to place further constraints on supply. How? Through regulations, through tax increases, as well as redirecting sources through hundreds of billions of dollars of special interest subsidies that are all aimed at Democrat constituencies. Roughly half of all the new taxes in this bill that they tell us, oh, we're not, we're not going to do anything about raising taxes. This is all by cutting cost and injecting new capital into our economy. 
That's what they're telling us. They tell us this one. Half of all the new taxes would be paid by manufacturers, which is a disincentive for production. The bill would unleash an army of tax enforcers and small businesses would be being hammered by the IRS, raising their cost and impeding their ability to respond to their customers. All this combines to one thing. It exacerbates the demand-supply imbalance. And while the deficit reduction is concentrated at the end of 10 years, the supply-distorting subsidies happen right now. Instead, there are two approaches Congress and the administration should take to address inflation. First, stay out of the Fed's way. Let it use its tool to address the supply-demand imbalance. So far, the Fed has had the necessary freedom to act, but the picture may change a bit as the economy slows. Senator Elizabeth Warren's recent criticism of rate increases may be a picture of what they're going to try to do going forward. We won't even get into that today. Second, make it easier for the supply side to adjust to changes in demand. Before COVID, the U.S. could sustain unemployment below 4% without any inflation because tax and regulatory reform allowed the supply side to expand to meet rising demand. What other actions can the government do? Reduce red tape. That's a barrier to entry and prevents competition. Eliminate restrictions on things like construction so housing and commercial buildings can quickly go up where economically efficient. Remove requirements for occupational licensing so workers can quickly learn on the job, change their roles to respond to labor shortages, acknowledge that fossil fuel won't be regulated out of existence in five years' time so that the energy industry believes there's a future and can justify investing in it today. If we're going to address inflation, we first have to identify its roots in a demand-supply imbalance. The Inflation Reduction Act, which not only failed to address this imbalance, is going to make it worse. At best, there will be a tiny little insignificant effect on inflation. At worst, it's going to push inflation higher and further erode Americans' families' spending power. I heartily recommend that you reach out to your members in Congress and tell them, do not drop this bomb on us in the middle of what bombs you've already just dropped on us. Don't do it. And Joe Manchin caving for this? What do you think the people of his state, West Virginia, have to say about it? They like him, but when he drops right in line on some of these massive Democrat spending bills that have put us right where we are right now, this is what caused all of this to happen. All of the spending. Joe Biden and his administration has spent more money than has any other president with the exception of World War II. Think about that. Where's it going? Very little of it is going into your pocket or mine. And I'm not talking about giving us giveaways. I'm talking about feeding this economy and growing it 
and then us feeling the effects of that in our wages and our businesses. That's the way capitalism works. That's the way it built America. And Joe Biden and his compadres in this Democrat Party, they're just killing it. And anytime anything goes bad in it, what do they do? What's the Biden way to do it? Same way it was with the Barack Obama. Same thing they did. Anytime anything bad happens in their administrations, especially economically, it's because of those Evo Republicans. And in Obama's case, it was because of Bush 43 and what mess he left for Obama and Joe. And then when anything good happens, even though they don't have anything or any input to make it happen, they always claim it's because of what we've done for the American people. You and I, we get it. We understand it. Again, I will tell you, you reach out to your your, uh, state and local legislators, especially your congressmen and your Senate. Tell them, we don't want any more spending by the government. Let our economy rejuvenate. Give it a chance to get back on its feet. Stop spending all this stupid money. Well, that's the one of several 900-pound gorillas in the room today. First of all, let me tell you, we've got a we've got a very special guest that's going to be joining us on the show tomorrow. Uh, this guy is from South Texas. Now, that's not such a big deal. I mean, I love South Texas. I was born in Houston, and I I go back a lot. In fact, when we had the arena football team, the Battle Wings here in Bossier Shreveport, we uh, we had a team in uh, the Valley. Uh, Rio Grande Valley, the Desperados they were. And they were in our division. We played them usually twice a year. And then playoffs, if we got in the playoffs, as did they. Great people in the valley. And those people in the valley all along the southern border and even out west, far west Texas, they are getting trampled by Joe Biden and his administration, Alejandro Mayorkas, flooding in cahoots with cartels in Mexico. And it's becoming more and more obvious that's been going on. We're going to talk later in the show today about how structured this is and how easy it is for these illegal immigrants to get here and then quickly get jobs now. That's going to blow your mind. The gentleman that's going to be with us tomorrow, Frank Lopez Jr., let me tell you about him. He was born in the Rio Grande and has served Texas in the U.S. and the U.S. Army and as a Border Patrol officer his his entire life. His father was Border Patrol. His brother was Border Patrol. Along the way, Frank became an ordained minister, serving his fellow agents as their chaplain and was a founding member of the U.S. Border Patrol chaplaincy program. He retired in 2018, after 30 years in service to our nation. He's also active as a border security and anti-sex trafficking activist. Protecting life extends into his role as advisory board member at the Amistad Pregnancy Care Center, 
of pro-life ministry. Frank's been a youth pastor, a Sunday school teacher, assistant pastor. He currently attends Del Rio Christian Fellowship. So he's a great Christian guy, but what about his politics? Well, Tony Gonzalez, you know that name. That is the spark plug Democrat on the southern border that has gone all in for closing the southern border and stopping this amazing hypocrisy at the Biden administration on the watch of Alejandro Mayorkas has been feeding to the American people. He's saying that Tony Gonzalez is not good at what he's doing, and he's saying things and doing different things, and nobody's calling him on it. So he's going to be here. We'll dig into all of this with him tomorrow. This is a guy, this is a rising star, and he's a Republican, but he's a true American, one that believes in the rule of law. And he's going to tell you from the inside exactly what's been going on in the insanity of the Biden administration. I can't wait to have him. I think you will really enjoy him, and you'll learn a lot about what's really going on in our government. But the other 900-pound gorilla that I think we need to talk about today. On my birthday, last Friday, House of Representatives passed legislation that they say it's going to ban so-called assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. The bill is sponsored by one of the most hardcore leftist members in the U.S. House of Representatives, David Cicilline, who's a Democrat from Rhode Island, and it's been dubbed the Assault Weapons Ban Act. And it passed pretty much down party lines, 217 to 213, very slim margin there. You know the definition of the term assault weapon. It's long been contested. People that want to beat that over the head of the American people, they call any long gun that is operated in semi-automatic fashion They call them assault weapons. I want to clarify to all of you, and and many of you, you know about all this. I don't even need to say anything. But I'm saying this for the people that don't understand. AR-15, AK-47. AK-47 is a Russian-made semi-automatic weapon. AR-15 is an American-made semi-automatic weapon. Now, the difference between automatic and semi-automatic we got to touch on that. By definition of the differences, not by opinion, the difference is an automatic weapon, when you pull the trigger and as long as you hold the trigger back, the gun will continue to fire rapidly, almost like a machine gun, shell after shell after shell. You don't have to do anything but sit there and hold the trigger. A semi-automatic weapon, when you pull the trigger, it fires one bullet and you have to release the trigger and pull it again to fire another bullet. Therefore, it's called a semi-automatic. Assault weapons have throughout history of having assault weapons, have that definition has been tied 
to the military version of these guns. Now, the AR-15, the semi-automatic, the one that you and I can buy, it looks almost exactly like an M4, which is the fully automatic version that is used by the American military. And it, the M4, is truly automatic. Actually, it works in both semi-automatic fashion. There's a trigger that you can push, a switch, or it switches to fully automatic. You and I can't own those guns. You can get them. Now, let me tell you, they're all over the streets. You know how that happens. Nobody's going into Dick's Sporting Goods and buying an M4 over the counter and going through the exhaustive background checks that usually take more than a year for a private citizen to, even if they pass everything, to be able to own one. No. What you can buy is a semi-automatic weapon. Assault weapons are extremely clamped down on the ability for anybody to own those in the United States. But we we do hear the rat-tat-tat-tat-tat on the streets at night in many places. Those are usually gangs, and every one of those guns is illegal. It was purchased or stolen and is totally illegal. Those are not law-abiding citizens that are owning and shooting those weapons. They're criminals. They're criminals. I can't say it any better way. So though the definition of assault weapon has long been contested, this bill defines those weapons as, quote, semi-automatic assault weapons or large-capacity ammunition-feeding device. And the bill makes the importation, the manufacturing, the transferring, or possession of these items makes it a crime. And this is also going to include, you're going to love this, some semi-automatic handguns. Semi-automatic handguns are the most legally owned gun in the United States. The bill exempts firearms that require a manual action between rounds to prepare the gun to fire again. I just explained it to you, including things like bolt, pump, lever, or slide action mechanisms. Also exempt firearms that have been rendered permanently inoperable are, are classified as antiques. In addition, the bill contains a short list of rifle and shotgun models that are specifically exempted. The bill allows for the importation, the sale, the manufacture, the transfer, or possession of otherwise prohibited firearms for law enforcement or authorized research purposes, as well as for activities related to securing nuclear materials. Retired law enforcement officers would also be permitted to own the banned weapons. I don't quite get that. This ban they're pushing would not apply to any firearms already in existence. Weapons that were manufactured before the effective date of the ban could still be legally bought, sold, and owned. This grandfather clause is just like a clause contained in Ronald Reagan's 1986 Firearm Owners Protection Act, which banned the manufacture of new automatic weapons for private use 
after May of 1986. High-capacity magazines, those are, they call them clips to make it sound military, but it's the, the holders of multiple shells for each one of these guns, and that holder plugs into the bottom of the gun, and those bullets that are in there, they move up and go into the chamber to fire when the holder lets go of that that trigger, and that allows the next shell to automatically be put into the chamber to be shot. So these high-capacity magazines, defined in the bill as a magazine capable of holding more than 15 rounds of ammo, would be removed from circulation. But current owners would be allowed to keep the magazines already in their possession. The bill would require that high-capacity magazines and prohibited weapons manufactured for law enforcement purposes display the date of manufacture and their serial numbers. The bill would seek to reduce the number of firearms and magazines in circulations. Here we go. Australia, a buyout, a buyback program. Details to come later. So the Democrats said that the bill, which is pretty much like a 1994 bill, is essential in the wake of a string of high-profile shootings in recent months. A quote here. Assault weapons, especially when combined with a high-capacity magazine, are the weapons of choice for mass shootings. This is coming from the Penguin, our favorite representative from New York, Jerry Nadler. These military-style weapons are designed to kill the most people in the shortest amount of time. Quite simply, there is no place for them in our streets. Nadler does not have a clue what a semi-automatic gun works and what high-capacity magazines do. They want to label every semi-automatic weapon as a machine gun. They're not. Referencing that 1994 semi-automatic weapons ban, Nadler said, in 94, we banned these killing machines and countless lives were saved. If you go back and look at the criminal crime statistics from 1944 when this was put in place, no. Deaths from guns kept rising and rising. But you know what? He can say this, and if somebody like me doesn't come along and say, hey, Jerry, hey, Penguin, you're not telling the truth, everybody's going to go, oh, okay. And he continued, but Republicans allowed the bill to lapse. Since then, we have seen the predictable results. Mass shootings have increased exponentially in our public spaces, schools, movie theaters, supermarkets, houses of worship, you name it, have all become vulnerable to attack. How many more mass shootings do we have to endure? Wah, wah, wah. It's the same song, different verse, all the time. For years, Democrats told us they're not coming for your guns. That's Jim Jordan from Ohio. He made an impassioned speech on the House floor last Friday. Oh, yes, they are. Let's be clear. The Second Amendment is as clear as possible and that there's beef. 
The Second Amendment says this, and you need to, when you're talking to anybody about the new gun law, the one it's not a gun law, it's a bill that's passed the House, got to go to the Senate. When you're talking to anybody about it, quote this one sentence from the U.S. Constitution. You ready? The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's as plain, it's as simple, and it's as obvious as it could possibly be said. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. But they don't care. In fact, Cicilline said in a committee hearing, he said that. He said, quote, spare me the BS about constitutional rights. They don't care about that fundamental liberty that law-abiding citizens in this country enjoy. Now you're asking, whoa, what the heck is going to happen at the Senate? (laughs) Initially, the bill was set for consideration over there on July 27th, but it was delayed. It was delayed after infighting among Democrats threw into doubt the possibility of advancing the legislation through the House because Democrats hold the lower chamber by four seats. Speaker Nancy Pelosi couldn't afford to lose a single vote on that piece of legislation, which is likely to face unified Republican opposition. The bill advanced quickly through the House Judiciary Committee on July 20th, despite unanimous Republican opposition. This bill is just the latest, folks, in a series of efforts by Democrats in the House and Senate to advance stricter gun control laws. At the end of June, a compromised gun bill brokered in the Senate between Senators John Cornyn, who's a Republican from Texas, and Chris Murphy, Democrat from Connecticut, they got enough support to overcome the 60-vote filibuster threshold, and it since passed in the House and been signed into law by President Joe Biden. With that measure was a victory for gun control proponents and a stinging defeat to Second Amendment advocates Democrats have little chance of being able to replicate it with more wide-reaching firearms legislation, which is what this bill is. It goes to the Senate. It'll almost certainly fail to gain the 10 Republican votes needed to overcome the 60-vote filibuster threshold. And again, talk to your lawmakers. Let them know. Now, before we go to break, I want to speak to the Christians in our audience. Listen closely to what I'm telling you. And if you read today's front page story at truthnewsnet.org, our guest writer, he harpered on this. He's a Christian man, but I like the way he writes. And he said this, am I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said. He said, am I telling Christians that you need to go buy guns and you need to buy ammunition Exactly that. Exactly that. Let me tell you why. If you read the Bible or if you believe the Bible, there's a lot of what we're living in right now politically in our nation and socially that are predicted things in the Bible, not necessarily the timing so much as the details. I haven't ever said this on this show, but I'm going to say it to you now. I believe we are headed for a real civil war in the nation. 
I don't think it's going to look like the real Civil War and the way it was fought back then. But I believe there will be gunfire on a mass scale. I believe there will be division. There will be groups and people will go out publicly against other people and there will be shooting in a civil war again in the United States. And then there's this. What could it hurt for you to go buy a handgun to protect you and your family at home? And even buy a gun for your wife, guys. And then everybody go to gun ranges and take lessons on their use. Find a place and a way to store them the right way where nobody can get to them, no child can get to them. But if and when you need it, you'll have pretty ready access to it. What could it hurt to do that? Look at it this way. The hope would be that you would never need to use it. But if you ever did need to use it, it would be there for you to use. If you don't get protection for yourself and at some future point you need it, you're going to look back and say, you know, Dan Newman said, I ought to do this. You need to buy guns. You need to buy some ammunition for the gun. And don't buy just one little box of shells. I know the economy is tough right now, but the price for ammunition has come way down from where it was. I would get, I don't even want to tell you how many to have. If you came and looked in my gun safe, you would know what and how I feel about all this. Uh, what could it hurt? But if you don't take precautions and it happens even close to what I'm saying, I think it's going to happen. You won't be able to protect yourself or your family. So much for that. We're going to get on to maybe some uh, nicer, funner things to talk about as we start the week. Back after this. I'm Chad Hall, and I'm here with the first ever Silverado ZR2. This is probably the first time you've seen this truck, but I've been racing a prototype version for over a year. We just inspired this pre-production truck you see behind me. Let's go see what it'll do. Copy. It's got phenomenal power, acceleration, good ground clearance, skid protection, and you've got the Multimatic GSSV shocks, so it's just going to be that much more of a fun truck. You want to go a little faster? Go for it. Copy. It's an amazing truck. You're going to want to get your hands on one. Nervous? Oh, Blaze. Brings back so many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart-to-heart. I've never seen any of your movies! Not even the ones we're in together! Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes! Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Ah! Hi, I'm Sam. Those were good times. 
They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! <laughs> The truth as only he can tell it. Dan Newman. TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. Here we go. Microproblems again. I hope I didn't lose you at the beginning of the show today when we uh, we uh, signed on starting the show and we found out we had done mic tests before we went live and they were fine. And then we go live and nothing, nothing happens. It looks like an entire channel on our broadcast board has bitten the big banana. Thankfully, we have a whole bunch of more channels on that board. But why does this stuff happen at times when you're supposed to be live on the air, right? Before we get away from the Second Amendment, um, I wanted to let you listen to somebody else other than me, kind of give explanation of what's going on. Pontificate, if you will, on the good parts, the good things about the Second Amendment. Uh, thank you, Madam Chair, witnesses and colleagues. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to examine a critical industry that helps protect the freedom of American citizens every day. Ms. Aquifer, I just uh, want to say it's great to see you again. Denton County Strong, uh, good to see you. Good to see you, too. It seems strange to me that this committee has decided to bring in some of the largest firearm manufacturers in the country, but not the Attorney General, who is actually in charge of enforcing our gun laws and who conducts oversight on the ATF, the FBI, and other pertinent agencies, or why this committee hasn't brought in city and state attorneys who are refusing to uphold the law in a lot of these democratic areas. And why on earth aren't we discussing the scourge of violent crime in those same democratically controlled areas. Fact of the matter is that more gun laws and restrictive gun laws do not lessen crime. And I have to restate, uh, restate the last thing I said in uh, our previous Second Amendment infringement hearing, that if you look at countries, for instance, like El Salvador, Jamaica, Venezuela, Honduras, that have some of the most restrictive gun laws in the world, they're also the most dangerous countries in the world with the highest homicide and violent crime rates. But let's not, it shouldn't escape our notice that democratically controlled cities in our country with the most restrictive gun laws in our nation have actually higher murder rates than those aforementioned countries. St. Louis has a higher murder rate than El Salvador, and so does Baltimore. And it's actually safer to visit and live in Venezuela than it is to live and visit Detroit, Michigan. 50 years ago, there were 180 million guns in this country, and the murder rate was 9.6 per 100,000. And just before COVID, there were almost 400 million guns in this country, and the murder rate was 6 per 100,000. Again, more gun laws doesn't equal less crime. Uh, Mr. Busey, i got a quick question for you. You're a gun owner, and uh, you were a firearms executive for decades, is that correct? Yes, sir. Do you own, let's say, five guns, personally? Yes, I own five. Do you own more than ten? Yes, I do. Okay, so fair to say that you uh, know a lot about different types of guns. 
I know some about some types of guns. All right, uh, civilian AR-15, uh, is that a fully automatic weapon? No, sir. Okay. And then there are several states that have uh, so-called assault weapons bans, is that correct? There are some, yes, sir. And are they uniform? Are they exactly the same or are they different? Each state? I'm not an expert on each state law, I don't know. So you don't know if they're exactly the same cookie cutter? I don't. Okay. Uh, I, I, they're not, and I think it's because maybe, just maybe, we can't even seem to define what an assault weapon is, and that is a vague term and left up for interpretation. And Mr. Busey, you also are on record, if I'm not mistaken, please correct me, that you're calling guns a weapons of war. I just heard one of my colleagues say it as well. Uh, calling which? Calling, I'm calling not sure your question there, sir. All right. Have you called firearms weapons of war? I have not called all firearms weapons of war, no. You have called some weapons of war? Yes, some firearms are well, weapons see, of war, yes, sir. So you, when you were a firearms executive, you, uh, did you market the Browning 1911? Uh, I marketed and sold 1911-style pistols, yes, sir. So 1911s were the firearm of the United States military from World War I to Vietnam, about over 50 years? They were the defensive handgun of choice for most military operations. They were, yes, a, they were a weapon of war. See, what I find offensive by that term is, and my colleague just said it as well, is I own an AR-15, and it's not a weapon of war, and I don't want to hurt anybody. It is a defensive weapon. It is a tool to allow me to protect my property, but far more importantly, my family, my children, and my wife. And I am, I, I'm glad I'm not giving it up no matter what, and some of these laws that we're talking about, whether they're grandfathered or not, are going to make good law-abiding citizens criminals. And by definition, criminals don't follow the laws anyway. That's why I own one. Um, so we have a bill um, and, and from our colleague from Rhode Island, Mr. Cicilline. It's H.R. 1808. It's an assault weapons ban, which it makes it a crime to import, sell, manufacture, or possess semi-automatic weapons. To put plainly, this is an outright ban on all semi-automatic weapons, and this bill is political theater, and it's a complete farce. The American people don't support it. I'm sure there's many Democrats across the country in rank and file that don't support it, and it's an actual joke, and it's a disservice to our Constitution. Thank you very much, Madam Chair. I yield back. Hello. I am so sorry about this. A microphone is just doing crazy stuff. The, the point I wanted you to hear is the explanations, the differences of this, the differences of that. And you put all that in the context of what we're hearing in mainstream media. It's like every law-abiding American, everyone that owns a gun is evil because they've got to have these weapons of war. There are guns that are created to be weapons of war, and they're used in war. And we talked about it in our opening. The rifle of choice for the military is an M4. It is an automatic weapon, which is you pull the trigger, hold it back, it'll keep shooting however many bullets are in the magazine until they're exhausted. That's great in war. It's not great in private life to face that. And therefore, our government made that illegal. There's one thing missing I've not heard anybody talk about in the equation about the Second Amendment. And what is that? 
we have 700 plus federal laws regarding firearms and their use. 700. Add to that the number of states, 50 states in Puerto Rico. You add all the laws and those together and you have thousands of gun control laws right now. If even a small percentage of those laws, if they were used and if they were executed in our land at the federal, state, and local level, none of what we see happening, almost none of it, would ever happen again. What's going on? Law enforcement today don't enforce laws. And I'm not just talking about these district attorneys around the United States that were George Soros plants, and the reason they're there is to go soft on crime, and they're throwing away even bail. You don't even have to post bail to get out of jail, even when you've done some heinous crime. I'm not talking about just that. I'm talking about the enforcement of ownership, going after criminals that get their guns illegally. They can't go to a gun store and pass a BATF government um, clearance for them to even own a gun. So they can't do it, but they all have guns. I've got more than five guns, as the gentleman that was testifying there, and you heard him say that. I take care of my guns. I've never used a gun illegally. One time in my life, I've needed a gun to protect myself, and I had it in my car between my legs on the floorboard, and it probably saved my life and one other person in the car with me. Thank God I didn't have to use it. But I showed it and was ready and willing to use it if I had to, and a man took off running. Thank God. Isn't it interesting that they don't give us any of the statistics each year that show how many law-abiding citizens that own weapons and use to protect themselves, literally use to protect themselves against those that were attacking them, self-defense. We don't hear about that. But it's hundreds of thousands of cases like that. Why this weekend were there 19 people shot in Chicago, last week, 34. Why is that happening? These aren't be- being used. These aren't guns that are being used by legally owned Americans, L- licensed, abiding by local laws, criminals. Why don't our law enforcement people, why don't the FBI? I mean, this is all federal stuff, a federal law, the ATF. FBI, why don't they go after and eliminate the criminals that are out there? Well, I mean, that would take a lot of work and time and money and all this kind of stuff. I think the American people would agree. If we would see some action being done by our law enforcement at the federal level, we'd be okay with bills like the Second Amendment. If it was amended, 
so that it did not violate the Second Amendment. This bill will, by the way, if it, if it happens to pass the Senate, get signed into law, it will never pass muster at the Supreme Court because it abridges gun ownership. That Second Amendment word sentence that I gave to you. You can't abridge ownership of a gun for American citizens. You just can't do it. That's against the Constitution. So, novel idea. This whole thing would go away. I promise you, very quickly, if the people that held those guns and shot those 19 people in Chicago this weekend, if they were in jail today facing years in prison for owning that gun illegally that they used and shooting it and maybe hurting someone else, if they go by the laws that are in Chicago and they're prosecuted by the laws that are in Chicago and they're convicted and sentenced according to the laws that are in place in Chicago, guess what? Chicago shootings would plummet. They wouldn't happen. And yet these guys come out here, and this is not about protecting any American. It's not. It's about this is the thing of the day, of the week, to go out and convince people, you need to support me in the upcoming midterm election. I need you to write a check to our campaign so that we can get a victory and protect you from those evil guns. Not one person has ever been killed by a gun. Every person that has ever died from a gunshot, they die from somebody, a body, a person, squeezing a trigger that fires a weapon and a gun fires a bullet that hit and killed or injured somebody. People kill people. Guns don't. I know, I know, you're pontificating this this morning, Dan. I'm really not. If we hadn't had these microphone issues, we would be way further down the show. And again, I apologize for it. If you're just joining us, we had failure of uh, our broadcast board one channel this morning after we hit the the button and went live there for a, about 30, 40 seconds. You couldn't hear me talking as we were scrambling, trying to figure out what's going on. But we're okay. We're okay. And by the way, anytime you miss any of these shows, feel free to go back and get them. For today, at the end of this, the show live, we will put the show at the bottom of today's front page story, and you'll be able to go grab it there or any of your podcast sources, iHeart, um, Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn. I know I'm leaving out some other ones, but, but it, Google. Any, any of those places will carry the show. Let's move on. There are some interesting things going on down at our southern border that uh, have been being hidden from the American people. President Biden's DHS, it was uncovered, they are using federal air marshals to escort border crossers and illegal aliens before their release into American communities. So as the Biden folks continue overseeing record-breaking waves of illegal immigration, air marshals, air marshals, those people that when you get on a flight, often they're on the flight somewhere sitting 
in the cabin. You don't know who they are, but they're there to protect you. Well, the DHS is taking them and they're being deployed to escort border crossers and illegal aliens from these processing facilities at the U.S.-Mexico border to the custody of Border Patrol agents before they're released across our interior. Catch and release that process ensures border crossers and illegal aliens are apprehended, they're detained very briefly, and then released into the American communities through parole. Now, what's the big deal about parole? When they're labeled, they're in parole, you can get work permits and go to work in the U.S. In one Arizona sector, more than 30 air marshals have been deployed to help facilitate the mass release of border crossers and illegals. The process is so widespread, one source said many arrive at the border expecting automatically to get parole. They'll just straight up say, where's my parole? They're aggressive. They know exactly what's coming. The air marshal's whole job is to walk them. Listen to this. Walk them 50 yards from the processing center to get on a bus. One source said that in Arizona, at least nine in 10 border crossers and illegals apprehended at the border are being paroled into the U.S. From February 2021 to May of this year, DHS has released over a million border crossers and illegals into our communities around the country. Donald Trump's administration previously deployed air marshals to the border in 2019 to bulk up manpower while a surge of illegals arrived. In the Biden administration, the air marshals escorts of border crossers and illegal aliens before their release into the U.S. That's part of an overall effort to transform the border into nothing more than a checkpoint for foreign nationals to stop by and check in and Get on down the road. Just recently, Biden folks divulged that nearly a 1,000 border crossers and illegals had been released after their arrival at the border and allowed to use arrest warrants and deportation orders as proof of identification to board commercial domestic flights. And remember this a huge majority of the people that show up at the southern border at these checkpoints, they have no way to verify their identities. They can tell them whatever. Biden's considering issuing ID cards to these border crossers and illegals so they can more freely move around American communities, making it easier to secure public benefits. Listen, these people, they're getting more rights more things given to them. Have you ever traveled internationally, especially when uh, there's so much fear about people breaking rules, breaking laws, shooting and killing? Have you ever tried to work and on your work, you travel internationally? I've been abroad quite a bit, and I can tell you this. I'm very, very legal. I always have been. Never had anything bad put in my any of my ID records that I can trace. And a few years ago, I was moving back and forth between Zurich, Switzerland, 
in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. And like the third time I came back, I went into Zurich and I go to customs. They pull me to the side and they rip me a new one, top to bottom, 10, 15 minutes. Why are you making so many trips back and forth between Switzerland and and Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia? What's it all about? And I explained to him it's business. I was working on a large business transaction that involved entities in Switzerland and in Malaysia and going back and forth and working out the various details. That's all it was. They don't see any of this happening at our southern border. And these are people, many of who are coming in here, who are criminals. And that's not demeaning people that are honest that are coming here and doing it the right way. I'm not saying that at all. I am saying Alejandro Mayorkas, he's got blood on his hands and he needs to be held liable because he's a federal official, U.S. federal official that has specific job obligations. No federal official from the White House even all the way down has the authority to just randomly break federal laws and not have any any kind of uh, prosecution for doing so. Mayorkas does it every day. He's the one letting these people over there with the wink and nod from the White House, Joe Biden. Speaking of Biden, got some Hunter Biden news right after this. Not just political, not just lifestyle, but always relevant. Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Welcome to Burger King. Can I take your order, please? I'm here for the most wanted. Sorry, sir. Can you repeat that? The gang known as the Western Whopper. Ah, you mean our new Texas barbecue beef bacon and sweet Carolina Whoppers, right? Yes, I need them now. Try the new Texas barbecue beef bacon or our tasty honey mustard sauce on our sweet Carolina Whoppers at your nearest BK today. Burger King, have it your way. How hard is it to unlock your car? Not hard. How hard is it to shut your car door? Not hard. How hard is it to start your car? Not hard. How hard is it to put your seatbelt on? People are still dying in car accidents because they were not wearing a seatbelt, which is stupid because it's not that hard. Smarten up, buckle up. Think road safety. A message from the Government of South Australia. mentioned this last week on one of our shows, uh, probably several of them, Republicans, they are licking their chops to investigate Hunter Biden, James, who is Joe's brother, therefore Hunter's uncle, and also President Joe's history of shady business deals after the GOP likely is going to reclaim the House in the midterms. They've got plans already done to investigate the Biden family business. Demand letters are being written today. Strategies developed to ensure that Hunter, Joe, and James are held accountable for the misdeeds and falsehoods that have been perpetrated on you and me, American citizens. And that includes the establishment media's suppression of the laptop from hell that 
led up to the 2020 presidential election. So the investigation will undoubtedly focus on Hunter and James' business deals, which Joe and his staff have claimed at least seven times that the president has not been involved in. Yet, there are 17 pieces of real evidence that you and I have seen that show Joe has played an influential role in his son Hunter and brother James' activities around the world. So how do the American people feel about this? Well, in a Harris poll, 58% of voters think that Biden has played a role in his family's business. 60% say Hunter has sold influence and access to the president. Some of the House members that are leading the charge are Oversight Committee Ranking Member Representative James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy from California, Judiciary Committee ranking members Jim Jordan, Representative Daryl Issa from California, Matt Gates from Florida. Now they're looking at five different areas that they're going to concentrate on. One, Hunter's influence peddling while Joe was VP. Two, family profit derived from the influence peddling. Three, continued business deals after Joe became a civilian. Four, money collected by the Biden family despite no discernible work performed. And five, false statements that Joe Biden never spoke to his family about the business deals. We're going to spend a lot of time in the first three or four months having investigation hearings. Then we're going to be very active in the subcommittee process. I'm going to bring the oversight committee back to what its original intent was. That's from Comer from Kentucky. He said that to Politico in July. He added he's already strategizing about who the top GOP members will be to join him in the investigative effort. He explained who and what will be in focus on the investigation. There are decisions that Joe Biden's making every day in this White House that are questionable that go against what I think the majority of Americans would expect from the White House. And yet these decisions are made because he was compromised by his son's shady business dealings. Now, let's just back away. That's that's from the media. What are your thoughts about all this? I've talked to several of you, and I think your thoughts parallel mine. Look at what is happening in the way of governing by this White House that may and obviously probably is impacted by all of these quote-unquote obligations. It is uncontroverted that Hunter Biden flew on Air Force Two with Joe to Beijing, met with Xi Jinping, and then met with and got this amazing multi-billion dollar deal with a company in Red China. Now let me just say this. In China, nobody can, no person can own a company. All companies are owned by the Chinese government, every one of them. So how could that not impact a multi-billion dollar deal for your son? And you opened the door and you flew him from Washington, D.C. to Beijing, China to negotiate and cut this deal, 
How could anybody in their honest right mind claim there's no quid pro quo there? And look at all the decisions that Joe Biden has made as president regarding China. I'll just throw out a few. We're crying for gasoline here. We're paying out the wazoo for gasoline here. We have strategic oil reserves, and this would be a time one would think it might be prudent to put some of that oil from our strategic oil, uh, uh, what we have in the ground, put that in the marketplace here in the United States to drop the price of gasoline way down low. Why, oh, why would anybody in the White House sell, under these circumstances, 600 million barrels of oil to China? Why would we do that? If there's an obligation of some kind, it's understandable. And then there are other things that are being considered right now by the White House. Donald Trump put some egregious sanctions on China that were very necessary and very needed. They're still in place, by the way, most of them. And what that did was it leveled the playing field in the world of economic activity between China and the United States that for decades China has controlled, which gave them a tremendous opportunity in the markets around the world to undercut the United States while they were selling things to us and making us pay way more than we should be paying. And it didn't work that way the other way. They put sanctions on our products that were being imported into China. What Trump did was leveled the playing field. Joe was considering eliminating dozens of those sanctions. What the heck has China done for the United States that would justify removing any sanction? And and, and to be honest with you, we should put further sanctions on China because of some of the things they're doing. There's got to be obligation there. Matt Gates worded it this way. He's a firebrand from Florida. Winter is coming. We're going to be in the majority, and you're going to have to answer questions from the country. Wednesday of last week, Comer issued a demand letter to Biden's Hunter Biden's wealth advisor to turn over suspicious bank records that are connected to the Biden family business schemes. His request is only a request. He can't do anything more. But after November... Comer will have the opportunity to compel Hunter's wealth advisors, subpoena them to answer the demand. In the letter, Comer specifically requested info connected to, listen to this, oh, it's no big deal, only 150 wire transfers by U.S. banks between Hunter and James Biden. 150 were flagged. Those are international, folks. Comer suspects the wires are linked to Hunter's business accounts under Pruitt's management. Hunter's bank accounts are related to his corrupt businesses, Owasco PC, Owasco LLC, Scanatellus, Rosemont Seneca Advisors. It should be noted that 
Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa told CBS News back in April that James and Hunter were both directly paid by Chinese entities and promised retainer fees for their work in China, and they got paid for that $165,000. Grassley's not the only senator that's alarmed about the Biden family business. Senator Ron Johnson, Republican from Wisconsin, has demanded Joe Biden's top law enforcement officer, Attorney General Merrick Garland, to appoint a special counsel to provide a degree of separation between Biden's administration and the probe. Legal experts have stated a special counsel is necessary because Joe Biden has denied any wrongdoing by Hunter and may have influenced the ongoing investigation. Johnson has been really focusing on the media's role in covering up the Biden family scheme. They covered it up, he said. He said this this weekend on Sunday Morning Futures. And as a result, they got Joe Biden elected. Now they continue to cover up for him, but this is troubling. Now we have actual bank records that verified what we reported. The laptop is obviously a treasure trove of additional corroborating evidence. It's got to happen. It's got to happen. If I don't care if it was a if it was a Republican going in off. If some of this was uncovered in the Trump family, and you know, looking back, oh my gosh, he was the most and is the most investigated president in history. If there was anything remotely close to being out of line financially regarding foreign operations and any of Trump's children being involved in them unethically. I'm not even saying illegally, but unethically. It had been front page news. Nothing. And this is everywhere about Hunter Biden. Meanwhile, back at home, American families are continuing to struggle as the baby formula shortest has intensified 30% of brands are totally out of stock. Arizona and Wyoming families felt the brunt of the problem as their out-of-stock rates hit 44 and 42 percent. Joe Biden, along with the FDA, made it easier for foreign manufacturers to get shipments into the country and appealed to companies like Nestle and Reckitt to step up production. But in-stock rates, when it came to formula, failed to reach back to the normal levels even though trends appeared to show inventory had gone up. Nation reported a 30% out-of-stock market rate on Friday, 30%, based on data from the week ending July 24th. Previous week, the out-of-stock rate was 32%. In a recent interview on CNN, Representative Ro Kahana, a Democrat of California, addressed the formula shortage, noting that Operation Fly Formula the name for the Biden administration's initiative that was meant to help is only produced one week of baby formula. But it looked good politically. You remember they told us, ah, oh, here's, they had it, had uh, cameras out there. Here's the first flight coming over from Germany with all this baby formula. We got it fixed. And it only lasted one week. There were no more flights. Meanwhile, migrant farm workers in the U.S. were forced to journey to Mexico to get baby formula 
as the shortage dragged on. In May, establishment media tried to defend Joe by apparently confirming the administration was providing baby formula to people crossing the border and illegal aliens at the U.S.-Mexico border. Remember that? Oh, that's just, you know, we've got to keep that there because these people come in, yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, moms across the nation today are struggling for food. Struggling for This is the United States of America. Why would anybody, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your economic, your political status, your immigration status, I don't care what it is. This is a nation where nobody should have to struggle for food. I don't care who you are. And if you are struggling for food, it's because you haven't bit the bullet and gotten on the phone and found help. It's everywhere. In my city, we have in Shreveport, Bossier City, the Twin Cities in Northwest Louisiana, we have 410 churches. Now think about that. 410 churches in a community, when you combine the two, it's less than 200,000. But there's one good thing about it. This is a very giving population here. I'll never forget when Katrina hit New Orleans. In Shreveport, there is a coliseum. And it's owned by a not-for-profit group called the State Fair Association. They immediately offered the use, total use of that arena that holds about 10,000 people. Offered it to the state of Louisiana to take care of those people that were just, they lost everything in New Orleans, had no place to live. And so the city reached out to our church, Shreveport Community Church, and our pastor there, Denny Duran, he called the staff in and he said, I'm excusing you from any responsibilities at the church. You're all assigned to go to Hirsch Coliseum and work and take care of these people from South Louisiana. And it wasn't just our church. People here are giving. And it's well known. If you need food, if you have no food, there are a multitude of places that you can go. Specifically, you can pick up the the phone and call any church or walk into one, and they'll help you. And yet, across the nation, I mean, it's a tough thing when you talk about one town or one city and compare that to the nation. If you look at this in the context of reasonability and understanding, I can't understand why any administration wouldn't have made this job one. Baby food. But yet, here we are. Joe Biden got one week, one week's worth of supplies flown in here. And he He danced a victory dance because he had fixed the problem. And that was more than a month ago. And it gets worse. So what about all the energy stuff? We hadn't talked any about it this morning. Well, we're going green. I'm sure you know that. Even if you don't want to go green, even if your state doesn't want to go green, You're going to go green or else. The federal government has said that. 
They're taking billions of dollars of taxpayer money and forcing it into a sector, an energy sector, that can't work. There is no way for us to go green. It's impossible. It will not happen. What's going to happen is it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And we're going to find ourselves, there are economists now that are talking no longer about recession. They're using the D word. What's the D word, Dan? Depression. Depression, We what that is, the difference between that and recession, is there's no way to get enough of anything to the population. And when I say anything, I'm talking about everything, including services, energy services, water, water treatment, all of the public services, they just go away because nobody can get paid for doing anything. And even when it comes to the government taking care of people, that can't be done. There are economic experts that are saying, This thing is turning so far south so quickly, we could very quickly find ourselves zooming past recession into depression. And it seems like this. Russian energy giant Gazprom, they turned off gas supplies to Latvia, the whole nation, on Saturday. Why? Because Moscow and the West got in a tit-for-tat about the conflict in Ukraine and sweeping European and U.S. sanctions against Russia. You know who predicted all this was going to happen? Donald Trump. He very plainly said that if we did not totally shut down that big gas line that was being finished between Moscow and Germany, that Germany was going to, excuse me, Russia was going to take over the energy, the fossil fuel energy industry all across Europe. That's exactly what he's doing. And this latest came a day after Moscow and Kiev accused each other of bombing a jail that held Ukrainian prisoners of war in a Russian-held territory with Ukrainian President Zelensky saying more than 50 people were killed calling the attack a war crime. Gazprom drastically cut gas deliveries to Europe via the Nord Stream pipeline Wednesday of last week to about 20% capacity. So what happens what happens in these countries in Germany? They are rationing out gas, natural gas to their people. You think that should happen in 21st century world politics that any developed nation should be at the behest of a communist totalitarian nation for things like (laughs) the energy that you run your country on? Germany made a commitment to go all green, just like Joe Biden's trying to do for the United States. So to do that, you got to cut off the spigot on fossil fuel And you got to start working hard on renewable energy sources. And they did just that. But guess what? It didn't work. It didn't work. You can't get enough green energy to run a nation. Oh my gosh, they turned their back on fossil fuel. That's the only thing out there. 
So what did they have to do? They announced it several weeks ago. They're reopening their their plants for coal. They'd shut them down in the green energy thing that they were pushing for, going away from that. Same thing happening in the United States, other nations around the world. And so you have Vladimir Putin and his Gazprom, and they're just arbitrarily going over and cutting cutting off the spigot for gas to Germany. What's Germany going to do? There's not much they can do. There's not much any of us can do. So that's just one little international thing going on. What else is happening? Well, it's international, but it's happening here. What am I talking about? I'm talking about politics and elections and cheating in the run-up in campaigns to a U.S. Senate seat. You're not going to believe this. I've got it right after this. It's time for a new year, a new you, and a new Volkswagen. Stop by D. Patrick today and check out our entire lineup, like the spacious Atlas with room for everyone, or the not-so-compact compact SUV, the Tiguan, and the always popular Jetta and Passat. At D. Patrick, we have a Volkswagen for every budget and every lifestyle. Check out all the Volkswagen models available at dpat.com. Make this year the best year in a new Volkswagen from D. Patrick on Green River Road. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, grass fed beef. Introducing the the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food, with no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids, only at Carl's Jr. Taking the time to speak the truth, no matter the cost. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. We've only got 20 minutes left in the show. My goodness. I guess I just, uh, I got lost in all the stuff that we had to deal with before we opened the show. I apologize for it. Hey, before we get to the quote unquote political piece that I told you I wanted to get, get you, uh, get you into some cheating. It looks like in politics before we get off inflation, Jesse Waters, John Kennedy got together Friday evening. And that's a pair when you start talking about inflation and what's going on in the United States. Kennedy is a uh, one of the spokesmen of our time. Uh, he's like Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, from a couple of generations ago. But I wanted you to hear what the pair had to say 
about inflation and where we are. Senator John Kennedy is a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee who joins me now. So, Senator Kennedy, are you are you worried about the new and improved Joe Biden? Well, Jesse, I'm uh, I'm, I'm pleased, uh, as we all are, that the president seems to be recovering from COVID. But but let me answer your question this way. After 18 months, we know what President Biden stands for. Um, if you don't know by now, you're thick as a brick. Uh, he, he believes in uh, bigger government, higher taxes, um, more spending, more debt, more regulation, open borders, a weaker military, and turning cops into social workers. And those policies have hurt the American people deeply. But in no respect, none, has President Biden hurt the American people more than in their pocketbooks. And I'm talking about inflation. Inflation, which is a direct result of the president's policies, is a cancer on the American dream. And it is rampant. It is unrestrained. Um, as one of my constituents told me last week, if it keeps increasing, Starbucks is going to have to change its name to 10 bucks. <laughs> but the issue, of course, is what do we do about it? And from where I sit, the solution is so straightforward. Number one, while the Federal Reserve is doing its job, stop spending. We have a federal budget. Live within it. Number two, start to reduce the deficit. Number three, freeze all federal proposed federal regulations. They're just going to add to the cost of goods and services. Number four, return America energy independence. And number five, once again, while the Fed's doing its job and on the supply side, um, extend the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which will be expiring in the next two years. If you do those things, in my judgment, inflation will start to abate in a matter of months. And if you don't do them, we're just going to continue to be face down in the desert. Well, I'm, I'm sorry, Senator, but that makes way too much sense. Because the Democratic agenda is just to spend trillions and trillions and trillions of more of our dollars. And they're never going to agree to that. And that's why we're in this mess we're in right now. I'll give you the well, last word. Just today, I mean, the gun control bill, which passed because some Republicans voted for it. And I'm not, that's their business. I didn't vote for it. It cost $15 billion uh, just today. Just today, the Democrats, with Republican support, spent uh, $300 billion giving a subsidy to big tech. This is all outside our budget. And this, this money does not come from leprechauns. <laughs> and it's causing inflation. Oh, I, I wish it did come from leprechauns, because that would be really fun. How dare anybody expect the federal government to live within the budget that it approved for itself? Novel idea, huh? That's exactly what's happening right now. This Congress, this administration, they have no concept whatsoever of bringing in X amount of dollars and spending X amount of dollars that they bring in and then cutting it off. Well, sometimes you have emergencies that come up. Yeah, if you live on a budget, sometimes you have things that were 
unexpected to come up, what do you do? Well, the first thing most people do is they have some type of rainy day fund, some money put away somewhere in case there's something like this that comes up. That's a smart way to do it. But instead, our federal government, they find some way to borrow money that we don't have. And the budget, we might as well not even ever have a budget because they blow right through that without even thinking about it. And then they find all these new ways to print money, money that we don't even have, inject it into the economy in the way of government spending and blowing inflation out of the top of the roof. Well, let's get to some politics. A couple of uh, Republican strategists On Sunday, they made the statement that a Missouri poll that was commissioned by campaign operatives associated with Attorney General Eric Schmidt, U.S. Senate campaign deliberately undercuts former President Trump's support in an effort to boost Schmidt in the final days of the race. Now, what does this mean? Let me break it down for you. Remington Research Group who is a political firm associated with Schmidt's top consultant, Jeff Rowe, published a poll showing Trump leading the 2024 presidential primary field at 42%. And the poll shows Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 18%, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri at 6 and other candidates combined for 17%, with 17 undecided. It was conducted from July 27 to 28th, and they um, surveyed 818 likely voters in Missouri. So while that sounds impressive for Donald Trump, he is leading the potential 2024 field, absolutely, and even a fake poll can hide that. Several of these in-the-know strategists said that the poll is obviously fake because it actually undercounts Trump's support. In reality, in Missouri, they say several GOP strategists, the former president is much closer to 70% or even higher in Missouri. And DeSantis is more likely than not in single digits. This is a completely fake poll commissioned by the Rhino, Rhino meaning Republican in name only, the Rhino establishment who are looking to move from President Trump. There is no way Missouri, a deep Trump state, would ever vote for someone like Ron DeSantis. President Trump is dominating the state and every other state in the country. Trump is way higher in Missouri than this poll states, and everyone knows it. That's a second GOP strategist. Clearly something funky going on in Missouri with people trying to undermine Trump's return to the White House. Take this with a very big grain of salt. Still, A third strategist questions why Schmidt's team, again Roe, whose firm Axiom Strategies launched Remington, the outfit that published this poll, would deliberately try to downplay Trump's support. Something is off about these numbers. You got to wonder why. Perhaps it's because the only way Schmidt's team can alter a poll to make it look like they are in the lead in Missouri's Senate primary days from the election is by kneecapping Trump and boosting perceived potential rivals in a looming 2024 bid. 
So on that note, the poll also went into the Senate primary on behalf of Rose client Schmidt, and the numbers differed wildly from actually independent pollsters in Missouri. That survey showed Schmidt at 34%. Representative Vicki Hartzler, who Trump has already said he will not be endorsing, shows her at 22% and Greitens at 18%. If this poll accurately measured Trump's support and had it where it really is not where Schmidt needs it to be to make it appear as though he's leading, that means something like 20 or more points need to move towards Trump from this survey's published results. That means Greitens would jump significantly higher and Schmidt would fall. In addition, Hartzler's numbers, that's the Republican in the House of Representatives running for the Senate, her number is far too high for the survey to be accurate. When Trump announced he was not going to be supporting her, crowds evaporated from her events. Nobody went to them. In reality, the field is probably currently brightens in the low 30s in the lead by a few points. Schmidt in second, somewhere in the high 20s. Hartzler down in the low double digits or high single digits. In reality, Trump's support is far north of 65%, maybe even north of 70%. Now, why, why is this kind of stuff going on? Listen, that was 818 people they talked to in the first place. If I know what I want to get out of a poll, and I know 818 people or know who they are and know about them and know what they think, and they think like along the lines of what I need to make this poll reveal the numbers that I want them to reveal, I can go handpick them and make it happen. You can make a poll say pretty much anything you want to. But at this point in our history, in our political election history especially, with what happened in 2020 with all of the details of the shenanigans in that race still not being revealed, you would think that especially a Republican wouldn't mess with anything. Just let it roll. Just let the people speak. Why, oh why, does somebody feel they have the power and the authority to manipulate the numbers to try to make them look better than they really are? That's very dishonest. And I'm sad to hear that that's happening in Missouri. We told you about the shenanigans in Chicago over the weekend. 19 people shot Friday into Saturday night. The first fatal shooting occurred about 1 a.m., A 31-year-old man was shot in the head while he was sitting at a red light. He was taken to the hospital and he died. Second fatal uh, shooting occurred just a little while later, 1.40 a.m., when a man standing on the sidewalk in the 1800 block of North, North Milwaukee Avenue was shot in the chest. He went to the hospital and he died. Breitbart News notes, 60 people were shot last weekend in Lightfoot, Chicago. Three of those shooting victims died from their wounds. The Sun-Times, Chicago paper, they have maintained a database that shows 379 people were killed in Chicago from January 1 this year through the last day of July. Think about that. 379 Americans were shot and killed in one city. 
in just seven months. I cannot believe this is being allowed. But what did we say when we were talking about the Second Amendment stuff early in this show? There is a very, very surreptitious movement in the nation among law enforcement to not enforce the laws that are on the books. And when you don't enforce the laws, criminals out there, they don't really pay attention to the laws anyway. But when they find out that if and when they go break laws, they're not going to be held accountable. They're not going to be prosecuted. It's going to be little more than a slap on the wrist. If even that, they're just going to go do what criminals do. What do criminals do? They commit crime. And that's not going to stop unless and until somebody cracks down on that. I remember back, I hear stories from prohibition when it was illegal to drink. I mean, alcohol was outlawed. Do you remember those years? Elliot Ness, oh, it was a big thing. He was out there and he was cracking down on people that were selling illegal liquor. Do you know how the Kennedy family, JFK's family, do you know where that family made their money? It was during Prohibition is where the big bucks came from. And the, the, the father of that entire family, Joe Kennedy, he operated ships that quietly and illegally brought liquor day after day after day. It was a regular thing. From Northwest Europe to the United States. And that was a big deal back then. It was a really big deal. There were laws, you didn't like them, changed the laws, but the laws weren't being changed. They were changed later. But you can't break laws and not be held accountable for it in a democratic country. It can't happen. That will cause the country to fail. And so Elliot Ness was a member of the FBI, and he was assigned to go just do that one thing, find these bootleggers and stop them. And that was what he was doing. And guess what happened? It ended up, prohibition was lifted. The American people's voices were heard. And they made alcohol sales in the nation legal. There's no need to even have laws if they're not going to be enforced. So a little little tidbit dropped out of the air about our newest Supreme Court justice, Justice Brown. As the court prepares to tackle affirmative action and alleged discriminatory college admissions practices, they have determined that Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson will be able to rule on one of two recently decoupled cases. And this comes in spite of her previous pledge before the Senate Judiciary Committee that on this issue, she was... She was um, heavily involved in the issue before she was a justice, so she was going to recuse herself. Seems to be not the case. So she was a she is a prior member of Harvard's Board of Overseers. She said during those hearings and confirmation hearings back in March, she would not participate in any case that coupled together allegations of discrimination against Harvard and the University of Carolina 
However, last Friday, the Supreme Court moved to separate those two cases, clearing the way for her to weigh in on the case involving University of North Carolina. Unlike Justices Gorsuch, Kagan, and Chief Justice Roberts, who all graduated Harvard Law but have held no recent roles with the university, Jackson's role on the Board of Overseers concluded in late May. The primary difference between the Harvard and the North Carolina cases, explained senior defense attorney Rita Macharin, is that UNC is a state school and is therefore subject to constitutional constraints that Harvard is not. Because Harvard receives federal money, it's got to comply with federal civil rights laws that ban racial discrimination despite being a private university. This kind of crap. It just, it just goes on and on and on, and I just hate to even deal with it. I really do. Quick break. Back after this. The new Amazon Echo has everyone asking Alexa for help. Alexa, what time is it? What the hell is wrong with this blasted thing? Amanda! But the latest technology isn't always easy to use for people of a certain age. These kids have bought me a busted machine again. That's why Amazon partnered with AARP to present the new Amazon Echo Silver, the only smart speaker device designed specifically to be used by the greatest generation. It's super loud and responds to any name even remotely close to Alexa, so they can find out the weather. Allegra, what is the weather outside? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Huh? It is 74 degrees and sunny. Where? Outside. What about it? The temperature outside is 74 degrees and sunny. I don't know about that. The latest in sports. Clarissa, how many did old Satchel strike out last night? Satchel Paige died in 1982. How many he get? Satchel Paige is dead. In what now? Died. Who did? Satchel Paige. Oh. I don't know about that. Even local news and pop culture. Anita, what them boys up to across the street? They are just playing. They what now? They are just playing. You say they just playing now? Yes, they are just playing. I don't know about that. Here it's smart devices like your thermostat. Alessandra, turn the heat up. The room is already 100 degrees. Are you trying to kill me, Alize? The new Amazon Echo Silver plays all the music they loved when they were young. Angela, play black jazz. Playing, uh... Jazz. It also has a quick scan feature to help them find things. Emilia, where did I put the phone? The phone is in your right hand. And it has an uh-huh feature for long rambling stories. So then I gave him five dollars, and he said I only gave him one dollar. Uh-huh. I said, I know I gave you a five. Uh-huh. Because I only had a five and a one on me. Uh-huh. And this is the one dollar right here. Uh-huh. So, I mean, you tell me who's crazy. Amazon Echo Silver. Get yours today. I said get yours today. To order Amazon Echo Silver, send a check or money order to Amazon.com right now. Oh my gosh, what a song. Guy with the, one of the best voices in music there. 
Michael McDonald. That was the first really big song that the uh, Doobie Brothers did when Michael McDonald brought his uh, vocal expertise and his songwriting ability to the group. Just one of those guys I really like. Hey, listen, coming up tomorrow, if you were here earlier, you you heard us tell the story about Frank Lopez Jr., former U.S. Army member, Border Patrol officer virtually his entire life, retired, is going to get in politics, and he's bringing to the table the truth about some of this immigration stuff that uh, we're being told a lot about, but it doesn't happen. He'll be here at 10 o'clock in our show tomorrow. Frank Lopez, Jr., we want you to join us. We apologize for the problems we had getting this the show started today. We'll get them fixed. Be back full speed, 100% tomorrow. And until then, you guys have a great day. Thank you for listening to Real News, Real Truth. Don't miss a broadcast. Subscribe to Dan Newman's blog. Read his gentle counsel on surviving the madness. Listen to his words of truth, hope, clarity. You found the light. You found TNN.